whether you swam here, surfed here, rode a boat here, thank you for coming back. Especially this morning, I'm glad to see our pastor back. I am so grateful that he is back. Amen. But I must tell you, this morning, it was like the Lord just started shooting from one end of the sanctuary and just went all the way to the other side. Felt like I was giving out Band-Aids as people was coming out to worship center this morning. Because the Lord just hit everybody. I think that was a message for the church. How we communicate with other people and how, how that's seen in the eyes of other people and what that portrays if we said we are of Christ, what that portrays to a lost world. And so we're so grateful. And it kind of brought back to mind some old memories that I had. And, you know, when in my house, when somebody got in trouble and my parents or my mom was upset, everybody got a whooping. It was like, I don't care if you were, you were close to it, you were near. Everybody got just Everybody got it. I mean, everybody got it. And it reminded me, you know, growing up in Jacksonville, my uncle had told us, he says, hey, you know, you guys are out playing. It's hot outside. Do not, do not climb on the house. Because in the south, there were these apartment buildings. And because the apartment building didn't have gas or nothing like that, and so they had this big kerosene jug that was, like, close to every apartment. And so our uncle said, do not climb on it. But you know what that tells 10-year-olds? Climb on it. So me and my cousins, my cousin Maurice, you know you got that cousin that always gets you in trouble. That was Maurice. (laughs) And we start climbing, and we start climbing, and I could just hear cracking and pinching, and I looked up, and that big tank was falling down. And I was like, oh, Lord. I really wasn't worried about physically getting hurt at that point, I was worried about my uncles who were actually in the room, in the, in the other room, uh, a couple doors down. And uh, I was like, who's going to go tell them? You're going to go tell them? He was like, no, I'm not going to go tell them. So we went and we fessed up and said, Uncle Kenny, you know, we, 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 we got up there and we pulled it and it came down. And it seemed like they just rallied together. They were like, oh, this is going to be good, boy. Neighbors were like pulling out their lawn chairs, getting popcorn out. They were like, man, they... <laughs> These guys are getting, and we got it from top to bottom. And I'm asking myself, why did I do that? They told us not to get on it. They told me not, specifically told me not to do that, but I did it anyway. And that had me start to thinking, is there something that God tells us not to do, but we do it anyway? Our obedience Our obedience in that moment, God says, hey, don't do this. This is good for you. Although we may not see the consequences, the long-term consequences, we still do what he tells us not to do. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about, you know, we're talking about the character of Christ and being obedient to the Father, being obedient to the Father. One verse that just keeps ringing in my ears like it's nobody's business is, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? I mean, over and over and over again, it seems like every place I go to in Scripture and just keep thinking about this thing, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? Why why are you consistently talking about, hey, I'm your Father in heaven and how much you love me and how much you care for me? But then when I tell you to do something, it's just like me and my cousins. I just blatantly ignore him. 
And so as we start here in this, this particular area of Scripture, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And if I had only obeyed, it would have saved me a lot of physical hurt, psychological pain, and physical embarrassment. If I had only obeyed. So let us pray and we'll jump right into scripture. Father, thank you so much for this morning, this evening. God, we thank you for what you've done and God, just for who you are. And Father, I pray that as we walk through the pages of scripture, God, that you would speak. God, you would show us the example that Christ has as he is obedient to the Father. Father, let us be the same, of the same mind. Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Tonight, as we go through the book of Philippians, you know, I just love to give some context before we jump right into the passage. In this particular passage of Scripture is where Paul is talking to the, the, the church at Philippi. And man, he is so, when you read through this Scripture, you can just see the joy that he has just jumping off the page. And he's talking to them about, uh, how he is giving thanks to God for them. He's like, man, I am so grateful for you, so grateful for your love, so grateful for your compassion. And, and I even remember, I even remember how we defended the faith together. And he's like celebrating, you know, the things that they've done together. I mean, it's like, remember when we were beaten together? Man, that was a great time, you know. Remember when I almost died in Africa? That was a great time, you know. Remember when I almost fell out the truck in Haiti? You know, they're, they're talking about all these great moments that they had together. They're being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. This is, matter of fact, I'm going to take a little sidetrack here. This is why it's so important to start serving together as believers. Because when I'm serving together as believers, we get to experience together the wonderful things that God does on our behalf. We're serving and so I'm looking at Paul, and he's talking about these things, and he said, man, I am so grateful for you. He's telling them, hey, listen, I know this looks bad, but I know I'm in prison, but it's all working out for good. He says, not only are people getting saved, you know, the Praetorian God, they know about my, my chains, and, and there are people becoming more bold in their faith, and they're going out sharing their faith. He's like, man, this is awesome. I know I'm in jail, but this is turning out good for the cause of Christ. And as he's continuing to share with them in this letter, and I could just see him just pinning this letter, just smiling the whole time as he's pinning this letter. He's saying, listen, some are, pure, are, are preaching out of pure motives and some are preaching out of unpure motives, but it doesn't matter. As long as people are preaching Christ, I'm satisfied. He goes on to say, he says, whether I live or die, you must live your life in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. Whether I stay here or whether I leave, continue telling about the good news of Jesus. He says, don't be intimidated by your enemies. Live in unity. Love one another. Don't be selfish. Be humble and put others before yourself. But then he says this. He says, listen, he says, whether I'm here or gone, continue to make Christ the model for obedience. 
Continue, if there is any question about who you should follow or how you should act, Christ should be your model. Don't listen to old wives' tale or fables. Don't listen. Christ is the model. And so he starts in his dialogue in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And here it is. He says this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I know God may not be calling us to die on a cross, but he's calling us daily to die to ourselves. To be obedient in what he's called us to do. And so when I look at this, I am a very practical person. I want to see what he's talking about. When he talks about Jesus is being obedient unto death, what exactly does that look like in the pages of Scripture? So, Lord, help me to see that in the pages of Scripture. What does being obedient to the point of death actually look like? Now, I want you to write these down, these Scripture verses down, because they're not in your notes. Here is the first one. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Listen to this. Yet not I, as I will, but as you will. Listen to this next scripture. John 5, 19. He says this. Therefore Jesus, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Listen to this other scripture. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see this? Not my own will, but the will of him who sent me, obedient to the Father. The next one, John 8, chapter 28, John chapter 8, verse 28 through 29, it says this. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is he, is me, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things, look at this, that are pleasing to him. Two more, two more. John 14, verses 30 through 31. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's be going from here. Now, you shouldn't physically get up, but that's just the scripture talking about. We need to get up and be going from here. The last one. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
Do you see this? Do you see how Jesus lived a life of consistent obedience to the Father? We as Christians should be living life in the same manner. It is hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to contemplate why people say, you know what, I'll do this in this regard, but I'm not doing this. I'm not forgiving this person. I am not loving this person. I am not. Pastor Ken, I know what you're saying. I know what the Bible says, but I am not doing this. Adamant. How can these things be? If we are believers in Jesus Christ and we're looking at the model of Christ, he says, listen, I do exactly what my father tells me. How can I, as a believer, says, nope, God, I am not doing that. I'm just not doing it. I'm just, I'm just not going to do that. God, you want me to go live over here? God, I'm just not doing that. That is completely contradictory to what Scripture says. And you know what the bad thing about it is? Sometimes we laugh between one another and we celebrate that when people don't follow Christ like it says in the Scripture. Shame on us. Shame. You know, sometimes we'll say, you know, God, my answer is yes. What's the question? Do you really want that? Do you, I mean, honestly, do you really, really want that? I know my wife and I, we're driving sometimes and we're passing through some little towns. And I'm like, man, this town is small. And I said, what if God called us? And she's like, look, don't even talk about it. Don't even talk about it. But you know what? My answer needs to be yes. God, whatever you want from me, I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. Whatever you want from me is yes. Whether you're calling me to a big city or a small city, Lord, whether you're calling me to a dump or to a, a, a village in Africa, whatever it is, God, my answer is yes. I'll do it. Is that how you live your life now. I would say for all of us, me included, when I read this passage, I was so convicted and I looked at the life of Jesus and I look at my own life and I said, Lord, is my answer really yes for everything that you have for me? Is it, is it I mean, honestly, is it really yes? Let's look at what this talks about, okay? Let's look, let's look at this, what, what this obedience looks like, okay? Because in each one of these scriptures, it kind of gives an outlook of what this obedience looks like. Number one, Jesus' obedience to the Father demonstrates submission to authority. Jesus' obedience to the Father demonstrates submission to authority. What does that mean? God, you're in charge. God, you are in charge. It's not me. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. I am not the captain of my own ship. I am not the master of my own destiny. God is not my co-pilot. God is my pilot. This is not up for debate. God is in charge. And I love the way Moses says this in Psalms 90. He says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all the generations. Before the mountains were born or before you gave birth to the earth or to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Whew. You're God. 
not me. I don't get to write the script for my own life. God, you're God. You know what's best for me. You know what's best for my family. You see close to me and you see way down the road. You know what's best for me. You're God. When we try to chart our own path, we try to put ourselves in the places of where God should be. And says, God, I got it from here. We have to consistently say, hey, in obedience, we submit ourselves to the authority and that authority is God. Second point. Jesus' obedience to the Father is voluntary. Jesus' obedience to the Father is voluntary. You never read in Scripture about how God places Jesus in difficult situations to exact obedience. His obedience is voluntary. And ours should be the same. I love looking at this scripture. Matter of fact, there is a scripture in Revelation chapter 5 that talks about Jesus. Listen to this. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and out on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the book or to look in it. He says, then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look in it. And then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping, stop crying, dry your tears. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if it was slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent down into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and golden, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, from men, blood of men. And from every tribe and tongue and from every people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Jesus gave his life voluntarily for us voluntarily. And so when I think about my obedience to the Father, it needs to be voluntary. God shouldn't have to push me in a corner to be, to be, to be doing what he called me to do. It is immediate and it's voluntary. Obedience to the Father. What are we doing now? Sometimes we'll try to do a little partial obedience. God will say, hey, do this, and we'll go halfway or, you know, it needs to be immediate and voluntary. Point number three. Jesus' obedience to the Father is motivated by love. It's motivated by love. Look again at John 14, 30 through 31. It says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Do you see that? 
This love is not motivated by anything else, not, not out of obligation. It is this, this obedience is motivated by love. Jesus says so that other people will know. Listen, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commands me. So as people are looking at you throughout your day, they'll know how much you love God. They'll know by the way you act. So when I, when I, in my life, when I, when I don't forgive often, when we don't love continually, when we fight back when we're wrong, when we uh, lie, cheat, or steal, we're not demonstrating the love of the Father or demonstrating our obedience to the Father when we do that. We've got to be obedient to the Father at all costs, and it's motivated by love. He demonstrates his love for us by sending his own son, and we demonstrate our love to God by obeying him. Next point. Jesus' obedience to the Father is selfless. It's selfless. And this is one of the verses that came back to mind, John chapter 8, verses 28 through 29. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is he, is with me. And he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him, him alone. You know, when my wife and I came to Sherwood in 2006, 2007, uh, and we walked in the door, it was Christmas. I can remember, it was Christmas, Christmas Eve, and we walked in, and we came into Sherwood, it was nobody here, and... I think the choir was practicing or something, and then we went home and, you know, we prayed about it, and the Lord led us back here, and I came. And, uh, and when they started singing, now listen, I am not culturally from a church like Sherwood. I'm from a church, they're getting down every Sunday, breaking a sweat getting down every Sunday. And I was not familiar. So my wife was like, how do you think it was? I was like, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. But watch this. God started dealing with me. He says, who do you think you are? It's not about your preferences. It's about what you, that you do what I tell you to do. And ever since, I've been blessed. The fellowship, the singing. Listen, the singing isn't about, it's about the words that I'm singing. And it's not about the melody, if I can stay on beat or whatever. It's about who I'm singing to. It's not about me. When you look at the obedience of Jesus, it's about him doing exactly what the Father has told him to do. Not about my will. Not my will, but thine will be done. Listen, if we can live lives like that, when the Lord tells you to step outside your comfort zone and mentor or disciple someone that doesn't look like you or talk like you or smell like you, you don't know what the Lord is getting ready to do in their lives. Because of your obedience, God wants to use you. Can you just be selfless? God, it's not about me. It's all about you. And Luan and I were just kind of talking to ourselves. We were like, hey, you know, God, 
we've never been in a church like this. Can you imagine God uprooting you from this church and taking you somewhere to a church that you are totally unfamiliar with? Totally, I mean, you don't know anybody. And then God putting you around a group of believers that love you, pray for you, you know, watch it after your kids. I mean, it was just love overload. But all that was spurned out of obedience. Amen? Y'all kind of quiet out there. <laughs> Number five, Jesus' obedience to the Father stands on a foundation of trust. Jesus' obedience to the Father stands on a foundation of trust. Because Jesus and the Father are one. He knew the character of the Father. He knew the Father. He knew what he would do. He knew that he could trust him. And as we spend more time with the Father, as we get intimate or have intimate relationship with the Father, we'll know the Father's heart. You know, the Bible says, you know, my sheep hear my voice. They, they, know, they know who he is. And so he can trust. We can trust him. And so Jesus to the Father Jesus' obedience to the Father stands on a foundation of trust. And so this sounds easy. And I look at this, the pages of Scripture, and, and it may be easy for the first five minutes as I walk out of these doors. But what causes us to walk in disobedience? What are the things that causes me? And I look at these Scriptures and I say, man, God, I really want to do that. I really, really want to walk in obedience toward, your, toward what you're saying in Scripture. How do I keep doing that? How, how does that happen? Or what keeps me from doing that? Because there's always a struggle. So here are the struggles. Number one, fleshly desires. Fleshly desires. Those are the things, that's one of the things that keeps you from being completely obedient to the Lord. There is a verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, and this is what it reads. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Listen to this. This is good. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Sound familiar? Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And you have put on the new self as being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Sometimes it's hard for us to walk in obedience because of these fleshly desires keep raising themselves up in our lives. You say, man, I really, really want to do this. I really want to do this. I know what God's word says, but I really want to do this. And in a moment of uh, disobedience, we fall. We fall. We fall out of fellowship with God. And so just continue to think about this is one of the things that keeps me from walking in obedience to God, the fleshly lust. The second thing, second thing, future expectations, future expectations, fleshly lust and future expectations. Why would future expectations keep me from being obedient to God? Here it is. Because since you were a child, you had in your mind exactly the way life should go. And the way your life should play out. 
I'm going to get married by this date. I'm going to get an education by this date. And I'm going to get a house by this date. We're going to have children by this date. I'm going to be debt-free by this date. And when things don't work as planned, sometimes we will step outside of God's will to make them happen. We will say, you know what, God? Your plan did not fit with my plan. And so I'm going to make my plan work. And we end up getting in bad relationships. We end up going in debt. We do all these things because we think that our plan is better than God's plans. Future expectations cause us to be disobedient to God. The third thing, fleshly desires, future expectations, the fear of man. Fear of man will cause you to be disobedient to God. You are more afraid what other people will say about you than being obedient to God. What will my coworkers say? What if I share the gospel with somebody and they ostracize me? The fear of man. There was one point that I did not put in your notes, but I want you to write this down. You have your fleshly desires, future expectations, fear of man, the fourth one is you don't understand the consequences. Well, why would you say you don't understand the consequences? A lot of times we will step in or we will walk in disobedience because I don't understand what being disobedient will mean for me in the future. Let me give you an example. Sometimes you will get into a relationship that you're not supposed to be in. You will have children from that relationship. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But there are consequences down the road when you get into a relationship, you break up. These children now have to deal with the consequences you made for being obedient in the first place. Does that make sense, everybody? So sometimes, sometimes we don't understand the consequences that could come behind our disobedience so we continue to walk in disobedience. So we need to be listening to God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Listen, in my, in my older years now, these are the questions that I'm at. God, what do you want me to do? I don't want to take another step without hearing your voice. God, if it, if, it, if it never happens, I'm okay. But Lord, I need to hear your voice before I take one more step. Because I just, I just don't know. I don't know what's down the road. And God, I want to be obedient to your will. So as we wrap up, I have three more points. So how do you walk into this obedience that God demonstrates through Scripture? How do you walk in this? How do you walk in it? Number one, true obedience is gained through a loving relationship. True obedience is gained through a loving relationship. And when we talk about this true obedience, this true obedience takes time and sacrifice. I've got to spend time in the word, time in prayer, time meditating on the word, and then in this sacrificial place. I'm going to talk about this time first. You know, when I spend time, and and I know there are a lot of people here, most of you are very mature believers, so you understand what I'm talking about when I say spend time or through a loving relationship. But for those of you that are still walking this out in the beginning years, when I spend time, I am 
going into the presence of God by reading his word. I'm sitting down undistracted and I'm reading through the pages of scripture and I'm allowing God to speak to me through the pages of scripture. At the same time, I'm praying and, and, and going to God in prayer and asking God to give me understanding, give me wisdom, God. I pray that you would help me to, to see this, God, this passage the way you see it. And at the same time, I love this because our pastor said this, and then sometimes you just have to sit with the word. You read a little bit and you just sit back and, God, what are you, what are you speaking in this particular scripture? God, how, how, help me to understand this. And so you're just spending time in the word. Does that make sense, everybody? The second piece of that is a true relationship is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. You're going to have to give something up. Whether it be your time on the internet, your games that you play, or you're going to have to give something up to make this relationship true, a true and honest, obedient relationship. I need to spend time with the Lord. And sometimes I'm going to have to give up some things that are close to me to make sure I spend some sacrificial time with him. The second thing, and I already mentioned this, true obedience focuses on the will of the Father, not my own personal preferences. True obedience focuses on the will of the Father, not my own personal preferences. And then lastly, true obedience will grow as we confidently respond to his word. True obedience will grow as we confidently respond to his word. Now, I don't know where you are in your life right now, but sometimes your small steps of obedience get better over time. And so as I'm walking with God, God will start sharing with me things that I need to do, people that I need to forgive, places I need to go, people I need to witness to. And as God starts revealing those things through his Holy Spirit to you, you need to start being obedient. God, I'll do it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, Lord, I will do this. This, this isn't up for debate. This isn't about my feelings. Yes, Lord, I will do this. And I'm walking in the path that he's called me to walk in. And even in the small things, not, don't just wait till something big comes along, but even in the small things, I'm saying yes. Amen. Yes, Lord. And when I do that, over time, you should see your life continually, continually being more obedient to the call of Christ. Amen? Amen? When you do that, I promise you, I promise you, you'll start walking and looking more like Christ. People will start saying, you're not the same person that you used to be. It's because you're walking in obedience to Christ. I have one more scripture that I would like to share with you. And it's 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is what it reads. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, look at this, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him, the one who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner 
as he walked, that he is Jesus. Jesus is our model for obedience. Brothers and sisters, let me, let, me, let me tell you something in just an honest confession. All of us have problems. All of us have issues. All of us have this, this kind of barrier to get over to when we start really trusting and obeying God. It's hard at first. But as you start obeying his word, reading his word, spending more time with him, you will start walking in obedience. You're saying, yes, Lord, I'm taking this step. Yes, Lord, I'm taking this next step. Yes, Lord, I'm taking this next step. And I guarantee you, you'll start hearing his voice more clearer as you start becoming more obedient to his word. That process is called sanctification. Now, for the next few minutes, I want you to just think of something that the Lord has told you to do already. And you're thinking to yourself, Lord, you, you, have, you just hit the nail on the head. God, you've been telling me to do something this, this whole time, and I've just been kind of disobedient. I haven't been wanting to do it because my flesh, my flesh just want, doesn't want to give up. I want to fight to the end. And the Lord was like, that's not what you see in Christ. That's not the same thing you see in Christ. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Death on the cross. Obedience. So I want you to take the next few moments and just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it? If you don't know what it is, ask for repentance and say, Lord, when I walk out of this room, I'm going to be obedient to what you've called me to. Whatever it is. Whatever. If I need to go to somebody, ask for forgiveness. If I need to turn something in, I've been dishonest. Lord, I just want to be obedient to you. And from that, you have the joy of the Lord. There's a joy that comes with being obedient. It is. There's a joy. But you got to walk in it. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the message. God, I thank you for the example that you have given us in Christ about being obedient. God, this is a hard topic for us, but God, you have already shown us in Scripture we didn't come to do our will, but we came to do the will of him who sent us, the will of the Father. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave here tonight, Father, we will walk in obedience as obedient children. Help us, Lord. Give us the courage. Give us the wisdom. Give us the discernment to do what you've called us to do. And, Father, we thank you and we'll give you all the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.